The question in my mind is, how do you create or relaunch a highly profitable and successful six to seven figure business? With so much conflicting advice about the best ways to start and grow your business, how do you get it right the first time? I want to help entrepreneurs make a real difference and navigate the messy world of startup or relaunch. My name is John North, and this is the Startup Secrets for Entrepreneur Show. Join me today when we dig deep with our guests and get you the best blueprint so you can fast track your own business. This episode is sponsored by Volpreneur.app, your all-in-one online business system. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. So let's get into the day's episode. Listening to the Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, John North, and my mission is to help entrepreneurs make a difference and navigate the messy world of startup and relaunch, commonly called a pivot. Uh, join me today when we dig deep with our guests and get the best concepts and strategies to fast track your business. So, today's special guest is Dave Parker from Directory Media, and so welcome, Dave, to the show. Thanks for having me. Cool. And so, we had a bit of a chat off um, before we started, and it's quite an interesting kind of journey that you're on. and. And so tell me a little bit of what you do now and, and how you got to that point. So my uh, my 80% time is doing sell-side merger and acquisition work for helping founders actually land the deal and get the wire transfer into their personal check. Oh, nice. That's uh, cool. Checking account versus getting a, into their financing check. Um, so that's how I spend the bulk of my time today. But uh, my 20% time, which sometimes is 60% time, is really focused on community building, John, and helping startup founders um, at the early stage from ideation and then up to kind of product market fit, right? Which is where they don't have any money and the money they do have, they need to sp- be spending on validation. And part of that came from my background of um, a five-time founder and sold three and closed two. But I also had a chance to work at a company called Startup Weekend. And the parent company was called Up Global. So it was the merger of Startup Weekend and Startup America. So we sold that company to Techstars in 2015. But the, the year before we sold it, we did 1,265 events worldwide. Wow. With 74,000 attendees in 120 countries. And um, I'm going to try that now. <laughs> we did a lot of events. And I, as an event marketer, I'm like, I'm still neurotic about events. I'm like, I know, I know 100 people have signed up. I know no one's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And now post COVID, we'll see how, how my neurosis goes. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, so my, my 20% time is really community building and give back. And how do we up level the entrepreneurs in Seattle and then also in emerging, um, emerging markets in Middle East and North Africa? So, being a five-time founder, I just kind of found that there's there's things that, you know, there's a thousand things that can kill your startup, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the best assist I can give most startup founders is helping them to compress that into a four to six month exercise that says, don't actually fail fast. I think that's a valley thing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I came from a family that didn't, where failure wasn't an option. So there's no rich uncle to write me a check. Yeah. So the concept of kill bad ideas fast, I think is brilliant. Because in that case, you still have the runway to go pivot and go chase a different idea, right? But a lot of founders get augured in on that one first idea and it's, it's their true love and it's their baby and they just have, have trouble being objective about it. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the gap I saw coming out of Startup Weekend because people would come out and they're like, you know, we met each other at Startup Weekend we're going to leave our day jobs and we're going to go do a startup. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> do that, there's some things you may want to think about. Mm. And it, it, the original uh, seminar series was called Six Month Startup. So basically, I would walk people through a set of deliverables 
and you could go do that work in the month in between, come back, talk to the mentors. If you didn't do the work, you couldn't talk to the mentors. Right. Yep. Right. And, but if you did the work, the mentors were super supportive. Mm -hmm. And by month four, we found we had a very planned churn rate of people who went, aha, I know now what I need to do. And I know how I'm going to make money. And I've talked to 25 customer development interviews and I found that people don't like this idea. So I'm going to take <laughs> the framework I've learned yep. and I'm going to go find a new idea and I'll see you back at the next, the next time you run the seminar. No, so awesome. that was the original, um, the original seminar series uh, that we turned into the book. And that would probably, in some respects, have a lot of start, save a lot of heartache, a lot of cost, a lot of oh my anguish, a lot yeah. of broken relationships, even in the yeah, process. You know, it's it's. I always tell people, I'm not ultimately the judge of your startup idea. Like, I'm not your customer, but but I, like you, I've seen thousands of ideas, mm. and the thing I always remind founders is like, I'm not I I'm not the judge of it, but you want to be the first investor, and you want to hold it to a high standard. Right. And the high standard is this is a huge commitment of your time. And hopefully you look at it, look at it as the first investor. So should I spend my time on this thing or should I spend my time on that thing? And to your point, you know, I've had both successes and failures and, you know, everybody's like, well, it was, wasn't it really a failure? And I'm like, no, it, it was. I didn't return capital to shareholders. That was a failure. Mm. And you, you do learn That's more from your better. failures. Right. <laughs> But failures are expensive and time consuming and you can earn the money back. You just can't get the time back. And I think there's huge value in time. Yeah. And I mean, it's an interesting thing in Australia right now. We've got this went into another lockdown and you know, businesses are getting destroyed over it because, you know, perfectly good businesses. Right. And, they, and the government says, we'll give you some money. And it's like, well, that's all very well. But the reality is the lost time in your business is so valuable. That, that month, two months of lockdown could have been the pivotal point between your business succeeding and failing or yep. something else that you're about to, to sign up for or do something. And then you've lost that momentum. So, you know, timing's everything sometimes. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. I don't know if your audience has seen the Bill Gross video, but he did a video all about, you know, what are the key factors of success? He was the, the founder of Idea Lab. And probably the best seven minutes on the internet for uh, on, on a TEDx talk, right? And it was uh, about really the value of timing, mm -hmm. which is interesting because you you never have that. You can only look backwards, yes. right, on timing and say, ah, oh, timing was great. And I love VCs because they always said, oh, our timing in that investment was awesome. The VC didn't actually do anything other than write a check. Like their timing wasn't excellent. They just happened to see an opportunity in the right place at the right time, right? Right. But survivorship bias clearly takes over, as does revisionist history, mm -hmm. right? And the VCs can be like, our timing of that deal was great. Like, our, we just really knew that one. I'm like, mm, I don't think so. I think yeah. I'd like to watch a Netflix documentary about the concept of the brain and how the brain tricks you into thinking thinking backwards and history creates this stuff that's actually didn't really be the way. Like, you ask someone else, that's not the way it was. But totally. your brain's what protecting the, you. The <laughs> biggest hindrance in critical thinking is is uh, uh, confirmation bias, right? So that then the statistics are crazy high on it, for sure. Yeah. So we talked about the concept that you wrote a book called um, Trajectory Startups, and there's mm -hmm. actually 14... Um, and we haven't got time to go through 14 today, I don't think, but 14 yep. kind of, um, you know, revenue models. What's probably the top couple of two or three that, that you know, work the best? Oh, it's, it's, it's super interesting. So when, we, when I wrote the book originally, the, the thought, John, was like, I just wanted to understand what were the revenue models in tech that made the most sense, mm -hmm. right? So I, I went through and said, there's, you know, services companies and there's commerce companies and there's subscription companies and there's metered services companies. And um, after we published the book, I was talking with a friend and he's like, have you gone out and like done a comparison of the um, public company comps of all the tech companies? 
So we, we pulled down 206 public companies that are all in the tech space and broke them into the 14 revenue models. We actually added a 15th, which is a conglomerate. So if you think of Amazon, Amazon has AWS with metered services mm-hmm. and they have a marketplace that they make margins, <clears throat> excuse me, in the form of BIPs, yep. you know, basis points. So those ones like that, we kind of bundled together and said, those are just mega cap stocks. They're they're definitely huge conglomerates. Cisco mm-hmm. is an example, like hardware and software and subscriptions. So um, we actually broke down the 200 companies and said, how did they compare from a, uh, an enterprise value perspective and the way we calculated enterprise value was their market cap at the time of the comparison divided by trailing 12 months of revenue and interestingly enough you wouldn't really be surprised subscription businesses that are highly dialed in pricing mm-hmm. are super high mm-hmm. now there's one that's better right and that's metered service right so think twilio think uipath uh, Cloudera, so the, the true cloud native companies that have a metered service. So you buy a subscription in the case of Twilio, mm-hmm. and then every text message you send, you pay a metered service. So if Azure existed outside of Microsoft or AWS existed outside of Amazon, they would be a true metered service company. And to give you a sense of multiples there, super interesting. Like if you and I did a, a million dollar services business, um, because that's where I spend the most of my time is people will come and say, hey, what's my company worth, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like a million dollar services business is going to sell for roughly a million dollars, but a million dollar subscription business, even early could mm-hmm. sell for 12 to $15 million. Mm-hmm. Um, a highly tuned pricing one is going to sell for closer to 25 or 35 times revenues. Wow. And a metered service businesses are running in the mid 40 times revenues. So, you know, you obviously have to get a certain threshold and be a big enough revenue to you, like a million dollars isn't the threshold to get you 40 X revenues, mm-hmm. but Stop one. 50 million is. Mm-hmm. So there's a company here in Seattle that just sold a Twilio recently. And I know the founder. So I, I applied some math and sent him a note and said, Hey, can I estimate where I think your price was for future 12 revenue next year? And he's like, Yeah, go for it. And he's like, Yeah, it was pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> so because those companies can basically forecast revenue super predictably. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a chance as a startup, not you can't force your customers to buy the way you want them to buy, just to be clear. Yes. Um, and if you're a marketplace, you're going to have a transaction fee and you might have a subscription as a combination model. Mm-hmm. But if you can do a subscription with the ability to have a pay as you go metered service, I would definitely suggest it because those are, those are the highest two return on investments for sure. So even in my criteria, even something extra on top, you know, like I guess you look at McDonald's and they sell chips and whatever, you know, that billion dollar upsell. At least if you've got something else to upsell, I think that's another thing that I find a lot of small business don't do. They they either go one way or the other. They have lots of products yep. <laughs> and, and they, they don't sell any of them, really. Um, but then the 80-20 rule usually kicks in eventually. Or they, they have only a very few number of products and they don't have any upsells. So they only a way of taking someone from just one level to another. And, and yeah. I think that's important. Well, I think that's true because it's the lesson learned here in being like I've been learning book marketing. Mm-hmm. Not a great use of time, by the way. No, and, no uh, it isn't. It's not. Don't tell me that. I've been there. I mean, you know, <laughs> so, but now that I built a list of 25,000 email subscribers, the question is, okay, what else do I sell them? Mm. So do I work on a derivative book? Do I co-publish? Do I do, right? Because the answer is, is, okay, now I have a channel. Mm-hmm. What products do I put in the channel? Mm. Or I have a product. How do I go find a channel? Both of those are great go-to-market strategy questions. Mm. And there's not always, you know, marketing is great because marketing is wildly creative. 
yep. where sales in general isn't super creative, right? It's pretty just boring, like, really. Sales yeah. is pretty boring in comparison to marketing. Right? Yeah, there's four methods for sales. There's innumerable methods for marketing. Yeah. Uh, and then for your for your audience, there's 14 ways to make money. Yeah. So I mean, so I, I also encourage folks just to say, hey, like, we, hopefully your product is unique. And that's like, you know, maybe a copycat. And copycats actually are really great. Mm. But just know that how you make money is never uh, unique. Right. So I'll give you an example in the last the five year span of the data that we looked at. Um, we had uh, remember Groupon. Yep. Yep. Right. So Groupon was a combination model. Ultimately, it was a combination model of e-commerce and lead generation. So at the time, it was super hot. Right. If everybody remembers, there's thousands of competitors for Groupon mm -hmm. and revenue models aren't you can't build competitive advantage with revenue models. They're public domain. Mm -hmm. So thousands of companies copied them get your so, prices. Yeah, and uh, the multiple of revenue for Groupon these days is 0.47, right. right? So for every dollar in revenue they do, their market cap is less than 50 cents. No, okay, that math doesn't seem right yeah. <laughs> in terms of you know not working. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, knowing what you know now, the answer was it was incredibly hot, right? And, and I think that's one of the things we get slightly confused on at times around like, oh, we're gonna go chase this new, like we're gonna be the new clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Clubhouse falls into a model that's called uh, what I call new media as compared to old media, right? Mashable is a good example or ZDNet's an example of old media. But new media is where we have either word of mouth network effects like WhatsApp or a vi true viral coefficient, which two years ago was hard to explain to people and now everybody understands it, right? So um, Ultimately, it's the revenue model that doesn't have to have a revenue model because we know at this point, almost all of those companies monetize based on advertising. Yes. So you're going to get a pre-roll like you do on Twitch or um, you, you do on TikTok. So at some point, Clubhouse is going to have to monetize. But as long as you're growing at a K factor of greater than two, you're on you're on fire, baby. Mm. Right. So I've only had a chance to work with one of those companies. Mm. Uh, we got to a K factor of 2.03 and it was you know, unicorn farts and butterfly wings. It was amazing, but incredibly hard business, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you look at Clubhouse, like you, you see that Facebook obviously uh, saw that as a big threat for, for, for sure for the Bibles and they bring out some audio thing. I think that they've got um, Vanderchuk actually doing some demo. I think last night they did the first one or something. Yeah, so, I've, I've yeah. been on uh, the beta version of that as a, uh, as a speaker mm. and it's audio and video. Mm. Which makes sense. Yes. Um, they're and, you know they're trying it out, and so so is Twitter. And anytime there's a, I think that's the the question is, are you building a social network or are you building a tool? Yeah. Right. In their case, they have to build both. Which mm -hmm. is building a social network's hard, right? Yeah. So yeah. you got to do customer acquisition better than anybody else. And the biggest problem with with you know like Zuckerberg is he seems to want to do everything. He wants to be everything. <laughs> so it's almost like someone puts up a threat for him, and it's like straight away he considers him the enemy. Like I, I remember him saying that that I yeah. If you, if you haven't read the book written by the Instagram uh, the the author who wrote about Instagram and the Instagram founders for your audience, I would highly recommend it. Right. Um, it's a brilliant book, and it answers just that question, and it's spot on. Right. Right. So a little bit of an insider's view for sure. Mm, yeah, and I think that's a. So I mean, I, I guess back to your book idea is one of the things that we used to say to people is: is there a business around your book, or is the book in a business? And and I think that's the biggest problem with marketing when they come to marketing a book is like, did you write this book and now you've got no idea really what happens next? And that's typically right. 
what we talk about a customer well journey. even with publishers right the publishers aren't actually good at marketing the publishers no, that's why they call publishers not marketers <laughs> by right. the way. Yeah. yeah so they're i mean they're supposed to be your financier which mm. maybe they do okay maybe not mm. um and then they're supposed to be you know the, the lots of promises around marketing the irony is i think their math is worse than venture capital right so i think they, they the number of authors they sign up every twice a year for the yeah. for the big publishing seasons and they're looking for the genie in the bottle Yes. Right. And uh, they're just trying to pick the math. I think the math is probably uh, a little bit less than venture capital, which is a little a little scary, at least yes. from an author's perspective. <laughs> yeah, I had a bit of an argument with a potential author a while back about, you know, hybrid publishing, whether they should self-publish or whether they should go to a publisher. And I said, you do understand that they're playing probably, well, you would hope the 80-20 rule, but more like, you know, the 99-1 rule, really, that they're looking for this yeah. big one. And then I think it's closer than 99-1 for sure. Yeah, and 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 I said well, you obviously never been involved in those guys, so you know exactly what's going to happen. He's like, no, that's not true. It's like, well, go find out yourself then, because it's uh, it's like any other business model, I guess. At the end of the day, like you you put out the products you hope you're going to sell, and then the market doesn't buy it, you pivot to something else. Like that's how it works, yep. right? Yeah, for sure. I think there's some interesting hybrid publishers too. Mm. Um, though I have to say, I have a friend who came out of the publishing industry and who's, who knows me well, and his his comment was, "Dave, don't try to fix this. There's no money in it." And I'm like, duly noted. <laughs> so as much as the publishing process is wacky, the answer is fixing it's super hard because there's just not much. It's one of the one of the things I talk about in the in the book, um, John, is the idea of uh, there's eleven frameworks I've outlined in the book for what makes a good idea. Mm -hmm. And one of them is this concept of an ecosystem, right? So I had a chance to sit in on Uber Elevate, which is their their flying car conference, right? Which is really EV tolls. Super interesting <laughs> idea. And they had people from the government there and people from Los Angeles city and county there. And they had Bell helicopters there and people who made, you know, EV tolls. And what, what uh, Uber had done is they had looked at this whole thing as an ecosystem and said, well, we need somebody to build EV tolls. We need somebody to train pilots. We need somebody to get power to the top of these parking garages. Um, and they looked at the whole ecosystem and said, we can make money here, 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 and here. Everywhere else, we're going to find partners. Mm, right. And it was frankly, it's a brilliant strategy. I mean, it's been a tough one, obviously, to, to do because it's not the tech isn't quite there yet. But yeah. we're seeing um, some brilliant um, electric vertical and takeoff helicopters, basically. Mm. Um, but yeah, the ecosystem view is really interesting because you have to look at it and say most most of us as founders look at it and they're like, oh, this is a problem. True. Is there any money in solving that problem? Yes. <laughs> so I kind of look at those as like it's kind of one A and one B. It's not mm. even one and two. It's like one A and one B. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, it's a problem. Knowing what I know now, I grew my first company from zero to 32 million in sales in four years. Nice. I would never touch that market again, ever. Do you want simple and effective ways to get started that don't cost a fortune in time and money? Discover the best steps for each strategy we teach and the most important areas to focus on and even to connect with your best customers and grow an online community. Grab your free copy of Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs at startupsecrets.show. You learned a hard lesson, right? right? Oh my God, it was incredibly hard to make money at. We had, you know, our the company who bought us was a, did a billion two, but our two biggest competitors were 13 and 15 billion. Right. So as we were going out to market, they're like, we're just going to lower our prices and drive you out of business, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, how long can they last, right? So it was just a rough market, but knowing what I know now, I'd look at it and go like, mm, nah, don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. So do you, what do you see the future in, in startups? Is like, I spoke to a guy yesterday, I did an interview um, 
um, a French man, and he was um, it's quite amazing. He wrote a, uh, a business plan at, at Web School, I think he called it. I'm not sure exactly where that was, but wrote this business plan about how to start a you know startup business, create a website, this model of what he was going to do. And it got so popular, he actually wrote it and actually launched a business. It's called Livestream, uh, Live Live um, Storm.co. But and it's like, and, and then he's got 130 employees five years later. Like the, it's almost like it. And, I, and you know, I guess he kind of you know fugicates it a bit. There's probably a lot of challenges and journeys in there. But the interesting thing about it was he he wrote a proper business plan. He built a you know mock-up website. He did all the initial stuff that most startup entrepreneurs never do. They just get a good idea and then go with it, right? And they never really look at that scenario, but he was getting you know people from his union or whatever saying, "Hey, look, this is interesting. Uh, can I use it?" And so they actually built something, and so and now I think he's got like five thousand users. <clears throat> so, you know, you look at that and you think, "Oh, you started it the right way because you knew no better. You weren't told um, that you had to do it this way, and that's the way you're going to succeed in business." He did it as a, as right. a school project, right? And he just followed the math, right? followed the rules in terms of what he had to do. Yeah, it's interesting because when you talk about the school version, I think there's two. There's when I look at most undergraduate programs, mm. right? So, and I, I get a chance to hang out with some of those, and I, I love those, right? Because there's so much youthful idealism, and mm. but generally speaking, there's four problems they're solving, right? Dating, books, food, and liquor. Those are the four problems. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> now, there has been some blockbuster hits. You mentioned Facebook earlier. There's clearly been some blockbuster hits around all of those categories: Snapchat, cool. et cetera. <laughs> Um, most adult learners are bringing some sort of problem to bear mm. because they're familiar with a particular market and a particular problem and friction. So, you know, they're, they're coming at it from a standpoint of like, how do I take friction out of this market or how do I simplify this thing? Or how do I make this data set more uh, accessible and less opaque? But yeah, the, the, I, I love working with, there's a thing here in, in the U S called i which is, uh, uh, the University of Washington I spoke at last week and, and walked them through here are the 14 revenue models and here's what you need to know about and and the teams there are really interesting because they're um, folks at different points in their career mm. and they're really like oh I think this is a problem I'm like okay let's go prove it right so to your point build a prototype go do customer development interviews um, here's how you do them right so one of the things I outlined in the book is I'm very much focused on the what and the how Mm -hmm. My, the, there's lots of people who've done amazing work around why do you want to do this? Yes. So I always point those folks that way and say, you need to figure out your why. Yes. Yes. Which when you figure don't that necessarily out. do either, right? They, right. The, the why becomes, comes later sometimes. Yeah. I want to be a billionaire, uh, yeah. which is a horrible idea, right? Yeah. That's not one of the criteria I would look at and say, that's a good, a good answer to that question. Mm -hmm. um, now, a lot of us during the recession, a lot of people had that whole, like, I need to go create my own job. Mm. totally a legit reason to go do that mm -hmm. but you, you still want to make sure that you can you can find the way to make um if you're in a service business the answer is it's a little bit easier mm. right because there's no thing as service market fit right mm. people buy services from other people all the time the question is are they going to buy them from you at the right price yeah. now product market fit however is is you know people will say it's mystical or it's thing you'll know it when you see it and the answer is product market fit is just math mm. Mm -hmm. So sorry to burst the bubble for the VCs who, who've made it a mystery, right? But mm -hmm. if my I have leading indicators and I have lagging indicators for product market fit, the lagging indicators are things like how disappointed would I be if I don't get to use this and how profitable is it and what's my lifetime value? The leading indicators are things like how much traffic am I getting either at my site or at the app store? How many people are converting? Is that time going down? Is my average revenue per user going up? Like all of those are leading indicators and they're just math. 
right? Mm-hmm. So it, it always kind of frustrates me when I hear a VC who's never run a business say, oh, you'll know it when you see it, <laughs> which is just a, you know, the, the Supreme Court in the US said that, said that about pornography. I think but actually I, Apple says that about their apps. <laughs> so when you when you put, present an app to the app store, Apple say, right. you know, we've got enough fart apps that they actually wrote it in their terms and just don't know it was still there. So we've got enough fart apps. Don't please don't submit any more. And, right. and our criteria is we'll know it when we see it. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the like funny it. thing is, there's so many training schools and code schools and universities teaching, you know, development. Mm. One of the things you have to do is submit an app to the app store in order to pass the class. Right. So you end up with tons of duplicate apps of all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a mess, isn't it? <laughs> totally. Yeah, and I, I think that's a very interesting point. I think a lot of businesses, when I when I look at them, they don't have a marketing problem; they have a math problem. Right, they yeah, haven't really sure. got the math right, so, and so the conversion cost to get a customer and all those sorts of things is the hard part. And I think the other thing I see is they try to sell too many things. And so, is there a sort of a, you know, it's almost like it's kind of weird. Like I see with with any sort of business, you know, to be uh, successful, you should be creative, and you know, all that sort of stuff should happen in that process. But the reality is that most of these very successful businesses are boring as right. Uber is technically boring ads like this they just sell one thing although they're obviously expanding but they just do one thing they do one thing over and over and over again and, and i think for a, an entrepreneur it can be quite boring so they they destroy it by accident you know <laughs> because it's boring right yeah i think a lot of us have adult onset add for sure mm. um so you know and, and most of the big unicorn companies we've seen over the last five years have really gone after new and nascent markets you know so airbnb and uber for sure they were building something really new mm. But they were launching it into a new market. So I think the, the vision that they had around like, hey, we think this can actually change the market. As an investor, I kind of look at that one now and go like, do I really believe that or not? Mm-hmm. Right? Do I think, like, I may not agree with you, but I think that, that that are you a visionary or not, right? I always try to encourage founders not to put visionary entrepreneur onto their LinkedIn profile. <laughs> um, I think the answer is maybe, like if you've had a significant exit, I think you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us have had significant exits are like, yeah, I'm. Just, we're still figuring this out, right? Yeah, most people will say that. Right? <laughs> What's yeah. that? Most people will say that that they don't. They're an expert in what they just did. They probably right. can't even teach someone how to do what they just did half the time. I think somebody went to a seminar and said, "Hey, put philanthropist on your profile because that's aspirationally what you want to be." And I'm like, "No, I know you're. I know they're not. Like that's just dumb. So don't do that." <laughs> and you've got to be able to spell it as well, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So where do you see um, like the next big things in, in what you see? Like, do you see some big kind of ideas coming forward? And I guess the pandemic has created an interesting kind of mix of, of 10 years. Oh, of- yeah, yeah. Massive headwinds and massive tailwinds. Well, I'll give you a couple of categories that are super interesting, not verticals. But I think the, uh, the, the, the thing we see in no code, so bubble, um, you know, the... The, the tools like um, <clears throat> IFTTT and where you can really, as a non-coder, really put something together in this, what I would call the API economy, yeah. where it's really taking something that is is less about code and more about connection mm-hmm. and knowledge of the market. So those are super interesting because I think what will happen with those, is it's going to bring the cost of building the product down, mm-hmm. just like Amazon brought the cost of hardware down. So I think if you, there are ideas that, used to not be viable that will become viable because the cost the, the bringing the cost of development down. I think that's super interesting as a category. Um, I think the, the headwinds tailwinds question, like I was working with a company that does virtual events 
right? And the combination now of hybrid events and uh, they did one for a big a big company with their the largest in-person event that company had ever done was 40,000 people and they did 140,000 people, wow. right? And their, 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 their growth numbers are ridiculous, right? So if you haven't built that platform already, you're probably behind. So I wouldn't say now's a good time to go build that. Mm. But when I think about the trend to your point post um, recovery, I think there's gonna be some interesting, super interesting travel mm. categories mm. Um, that are popping up. Um, I think as people who are outside the US market and look at, like for example, in MENA and Middle East, I'm like, I'm a huge fan of copycats because in the US, when we raise money, the VCs are like, Dave, focus on the US. You, you got plenty of runway here, mm. which means you have a seven year head start of Greenfield mm. before I get to Mina and say, oh, who's really figured out the unit economics on this? Because we'll just put in our stack, but they really need to figure out the marketing, mm. right? So for some of those companies, the answer is going to be a great exit in you know five or six years. Mm. So those ones to me are super exciting. Um, and I do like the emerging markets. I think the, the places where, you know, we had to used to have a tech hub because I'm in Seattle, but you know, I, I people are going to work remotely from now on. And it's not going to matter where you are. I love that idea before because with startup weekend, we were very distributed and, uh, we work with 5,500 volunteers all over the world. So, but now the idea of like both command and control, uh, management, right. Yeah. As well as like, I just want the best people I can find in the world, mm. right is becomes a really interesting opportunity as well. So I think, I think we're in for kind of an exciting time, mm. right? I'm perpetually glass half full, maybe three quarters full. That's my nature. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think back of a business partner I had that cost me a lot of money. Um, but his, his business model was that he had a uh, an office, which is basically just one large room, and the desks were around the room. And he sat virtually in the, off the side there so you could see everybody's Everybody. screens. And that was his his way of doing business that so he makes sure everybody was working because he'd look up and see that they were working <laughs> and that was his that was his whole way of doing business and i thought it was quite bizarre because of my business we had a lot of people like in you know cubicles and and offices and things like that yep. and it's like it's just kind of bizarre but that was his model like if he could see them they were working he assumed they were working right <laughs> yeah it's crazy I, I think you know we're seeing people start to um start to go back to work here in september in, in seattle in the northwest and we'll we'll see how it comes together. But I think there's a lot of people, you know, we've we've heard. I don't know if you heard the the rage quitting examples, but there's lots of people who are like, I'm I'm done. Not coming back. <laughs> yeah. At least not coming back there. Like I may yeah. go to work at the zoo, but I'm yeah. I'm not coming back there. And the the company is very much a, you know, when I look at Glassdoor, the evaluation sites of people who are saying, hey, listen, how does how did this company rank? Mm. Um, surviving the pandemic and ended up with really some high, super high numbers or super low numbers, depending mm. on how well the management was. Yeah, and I think if you can survive that, you must survive anything, right? <laughs> yeah, one of my companies did, like we had our two, last year was our best year ever. This year's our, our you know, top out last year. And mm. well, boy, when we entered into it, it was partially because they survived 2008, right? Mm. So they were quick to move and make good decisions. And, you know, all of those things really mattered. You needed runway. And I think the biggest thing in, in I think, the, the world of startup or entrepreneurship is that there's no perfect time to do anything. It's not like, like, and there's always something around the corner that's going to get you. So you've always got to be in that situation where you've got to have some sort of way of navigating it. And sometimes it's bad luck. Sometimes things come along that you just can't do anything about. I mean, if you just started a new restaurant and, and you just get stuck in lockdown and that's the end of you, well, that wasn't your fault. Totally. But the reality is that, you know, unless you can pivot to takeaway or something like that, you're in, you're in big trouble. So, you know, you couldn't I, see that one coming, you know, ultimately. Yeah, for sure. I was on a panel a few years ago with somebody, a, a VC, 
And he's like, well, you know, I think economic downturns are good because, you know, it, people, the prices are less and people can do blah. And, and I kind of chuckled and I probably shouldn't have chuckled as much out loud as I did. And I said, you know, I said, the founders I know are compelled to go pursue an idea. Mm. And they, and it doesn't matter the timing in many cases, right? You'd be like, you'd be talking about it. You're like, don't do it now. You have a new baby, mm. right? Or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And, but my observation of founders is generally most of us are compelled to go pursue an idea. Yes. Um, and timing be damned, right? We kind of look at it and we're like, no, no, this is a great, I got to go fix this thing or I got to go do this thing. Mm. So I, I always try to temper that with um, passion is, is super critical, but it's not sufficient. Mm. So you need oh, to yeah. do math too. <laughs> it's the, it is a community commodity, really. At the end of the day, I think. Yeah, and I'm glad you're enthusiastic, and I don't want to rain on your parade. But do do that and a little bit of math, yes. because you'll learn like, oh, can I, you know, can I actually buy customers a reasonable economics and expect a, a return? Mm. And the answer is, I can do that test before I write a single line of code. Yes. Okay? So there's lots of ways you can test that in advance. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest challenge, I guess, is the testing because you get so enthusiastic. Do you want to go build that house? You don't actually want to build any plans. You're just going to build exactly. that house and start whacking rooms in, right? And you don't want to talk to the inspector who says, you can't build it that way. That's, <laughs> that way will fail, yeah. right? Someone's going to die. Yep. <laughs> you don't put a roof on it. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate your time, David. I think we could talk for hours on this, but uh, uh, I really appreciate your in insight. And it's, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's um, a fantastic idea. Of, I think math is the biggest challenge with most people, I think. And, and I think that should go. And your book's called um, Trajectory Startups, and we'll put a link up there on the on the um, on the. And I'll make sure I post the link for uh, the free uh, excerpt for the book too. So if you're yeah. just after the revenue models, you can yeah. definitely find that there too. We've, we've created a free excerpt for it. So excellent. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's a wrap on another awesome episode for the Startup Secret Show for entrepreneurs. Just before you go, if you like this episode, we'd be very grateful for a five-star review. Please also consider recommending the show to a friend or two. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. Until next time, if you're an entrepreneur, make a start on your next great business idea today.